Let's do um let's do uh Zone Bro go first. And then I'll go and then I'll say and we have with this blah 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 that, that whole spiel. Hi, I'm Zohariel. You fucking And I'm Broletariat. And I'm Fibwick. And today we have with us Oath and CMD from the book club. Um who there are special guests. We'll get more into why later. But to begin with, we can just um I it would be good to go a little into um uh, how you found the book club, uh, how it's helped you. And I'll, I'll start with Oath because he was the first person to arrive. Yeah, I did find a book club around the time. It was before Capital, definitely. It must have been like uh, one of the earlier works. Uh, and it was actually the classic way, I guess, of just seeing it on Reddit in one of the the subreddits there that someone, Brawl, was writing about like, oh, book club, let's read uh wage labor or one of those i don't remember which one it was uh and yeah and then i just joined and came into it uh, and then kind of like in the beginning just kind of stuck around and, and read and watched a bit but then you know around capital when when uh, it became more intense of course and then uh, it became also more time spent than to uh, to read and to discuss and to do stuff in the on the server which is nice what are some ways you think has been helpful and it kind of your understanding before and after joining the book club, that is, and how it's been helpful? Well, I mean, it's been very helpful because uh, before that, I, I kind of felt like I had this thought that I would read theory, read more theory and get into more works in general uh, around the same time as I actually saw the, the book club pop up. So it was quite a good timing for it. And I mean, I hadn't read that much before that of, of the actual works of theory, more like you know, general, more maybe more modern books on different topics uh, relating to leftism and socialism and such. So then it was quite good to, I mean, it, it does help a lot both to, to get a reason to read and like a reason to keep up with a pace and not just kind of like stop reading some time because you get lazy. And also like the, just to get the, the help from the discussions, of course, to, uh, to learn more and to have some people who have read a lot and do understand a lot, kind of like talk talk you through the whole thing. So that's uh, super helpful. CMD, how did you find? I think most of us found it through Reddit, but um, I don't know how how exactly did you find the book club? I also found the book book club through Reddit and um, just saw somebody posted that we were reading Capital around the same time that I was already reading Capital, kind of on my own, and I joined. I didn't know how to use Discord at all, and uh, didn't realize that there was a curriculum, <laughs> didn't realize that there were articles or a podcast, but I noticed that anytime I had a question and posted, this guy named Brol would come in and answer any of my questions, which was really helpful. And then after maybe like six months, I realized that there was an announcement section with a reading list and uh, articles and a podcast and I checked out the podcast and realized y'all are chill as fuck so I got a little bit more involved that way and actually started reading along with the curriculum and started learning a lot faster and a lot more with all of your help so what you're saying is we've done a horrible job of advertising even within the discord server <laughs> what we're doing it does sound like it yeah when we have all the new people coming it might be good to kind of Make sure everyone kind of gets how to use Discord as well. Like, be very, very clear with how to... <laughs> yeah, it may be helpful to... 
include a link just to be like, hey, here's a link to our curriculum sort of thing. Because I, I think like that's kind of the jumping off point of, oh, there's more going on here than just a Discord server kind of thing. Yeah, not to say like, you know, hey, great to have you. Although, you know, we should still say that. But also, here's a link to announcements. Here's a link to the overall curriculum. And yeah, maybe to the podcast. And just yeah. you know, let us know if you have any questions. Also, maybe... um maybe the youtube channel because we have that now <gasps> was that a segue well it's gonna be now i have another question i want to ask cmd but i'm gonna come back to it because that question <laughs> was because that segue was so good <laughs> um so um so yeah so the reason why we have two guests on today is because we are launching a youtube channel it's already doing better than a podcast after like a week but but yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's your project, so I guess I'll let you speak on it. Yeah, should we say something about how it all came about, maybe? Yeah, probably good to start with that. Uh, the way I remember it is that our dear friend and, and comrade Inverse uh, wrote an article uh, for Anti-Capital, the publication. Who has also been featured on another previous episode of the podcast, which you can find in the show notes, um, discussing and the article. Exactly, exactly. Talked about that same article. He wrote an article anyway about uh, BreadTube, uh, about uh, the uh, socialist leftist YouTubers uh, making content on, on, uh, on YouTube. Um, and then, and I think you don't even, you claim to not remember this, Facebook, but I, I will always put this on you, that you said like, oh, maybe we should make this, uh, this text into a video and put it on YouTube because it's about YouTube. Wow. And then... I can, just kind of got involved because you said, oh, can anyone edit video? And I said, yeah, I guess I can edit video. So let's make it happen. But in the end, the, the road to our first video actually ended up being mostly CMD, though, because he's the one who has done the narration of, the, of this text, read it in a, in a good way, and then actually ended up making the, the video, the visuals for it, too. And then we ended up with our first video, which is the poverty of BreadTube. And just to put it somewhere and have somewhere to put uh, future content that we want to make, we made a, a YouTube channel for Anti-Capital. So the publication has a YouTube channel also. Um, also, I should say, all of this is available in the show notes. The YouTube video, the YouTube channel, etc., etc. But probably don't need to say that. It's a pretty good video, I have to say. It's, it's, uh, it's a very nice video to start off with. And it's also get, got some... Some views and some traction straight away, which is nice to... I mean, I, honestly, I was expecting like 200 views to me would have been successful. And we have over a thousand now. <laughs> yeah, the future content. Uh, have you, do you have any idea what that is? Uh, I, I know there's some articles we're looking at, but you want to... Yeah, definitely like and subscribe. Keep your eye out for, for new content. Um, without getting into too much detail about what I do, I basically make capitalist propaganda during the day. By that I mean I work in marketing and advertising. So I've been looking for an opportunity to create uh, communist propaganda. And so I will keep working on that at night and try to deliver more articles for you soon. Okay, I have a question for Command. Or CMD. Okay. Do, do, we, do we call him? I guess we can't call him Command. Oh, it's Command! It's Command Control, yeah. Like, oh my god! You didn't know that? I, I know I knew it was control, but come CMD to me I don't I know I, I barely ever use I guess that's from this would be on like Apple computers. This is right. like he has never used a Mac in his life. I have, <laughs> but like long time ago, and it's super foreign to me. 
long time ago, aren't you? Like 14, 15? Okay, I'm, si- oh, I'm 16, but... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Good. Be sorry. <laughs> it's, it's My entire personality is that I'm 16 years old now. Well, anyway, my question was going to be, how on old. earth do you sound so lovely and nice in the YouTube video, but your microphone right now is like not... I was, I was also kind of wondering. Uh, th- well, thank you, and sorry to disappoint. <laughs> I'm on my phone at the moment, but normally I record with a legitimate mic and recording setup, but I'm on the road, and this is all I have for now. That's a very fair answer. Your voice still sounds fine. It's just that I, I was mostly referring to the quality of the microphone and the echo and everything, but in the YouTube video, there was like none of that. It was clean and crisp. I was like, was that just edited to hell and back, or...? I fixed it in post. <laughs> oh, right. I didn't actually get to properly ask you as well how uh, how exactly the book club has helped you and kind of like how your understanding of Marxism has changed with the book club. Yeah, so I think that in general, capitalism is clearly in decay. It's in the air. It's on the airwaves. They're talking about it on MSNBC, CNN. Everybody knows about it. And to kind of paraphrased Lenin, all the social chauvinists are now Marxists, or cultural Marxists, whatever. Um, So everybody kind of realizes that something is wrong with capitalism, but they don't necessarily know how to put it into words. They don't know what exactly is wrong with it. So I think that in a way, we're all not just starting at square one with this material, we're often starting at square negative one, negative two, negative three, because we grew up in the, you know, in the aftermath of a hundred years of anti-Soviet or anti-socialist propaganda. So just existing in that um, atmosphere, we've kind of developed like negative associations with socialism. Um, But we realize that something is wrong with capitalism. So a lot of people are attracted to reading about theory, but they don't necessarily know where to start. Um, And they kind of have to shed off some of the liberalism that they've grown up with. Um, So that's where the book club really comes into play if we kind of identify what are what are the most fundamental um, the most fundamental material to read to get us up to speed, that's where it's really helpful. So we have a curriculum where we tackle the economics, the politics, the philosophy, the history. <laughs> uh, so when we when we get all of that and get the basics down, we can we can kind of get caught up to speed. I think that's an exceptionally good answer because it's pretty much exactly uh, the the whole perspective we've had when we found anti-capital, I guess, five years ago now, was a, a perspective of defeat, basically, that the working class has been under a, a, a relentless onslaught since about the 70s. Like, if you look at all kinds of, like, standards of living and various statistics like that, everything's been on the decline since about the 70s, and... I've always said we're starting at worse than zero. You know, we're we're now dealing with the the collapse of the Soviet Union. So everybody has sort of this impression that, oh, you know, communism was already tried and it failed. So there's the classic, there is no alternative anymore. It's just capitalism and this is the best we can do. And sort of the collapse of the USSR was like a generational defeat where anybody who was alive sort of around the 90s have that impression. And so there's kind of a really amusing generational gap in communism, more or less, where sort of the parents of millennials, they'll be anti-communists or just, you know, apathetic in general. 
but their great grandparents, like like Artie, like seventy two year old people, there's like this huge skip. Like it's seventy two year old people like Artie, and then there's like me. I'm twenty eight, and we don't really have very many forty fifty year olds. And like it seems like we're getting the next generation kind of on board, but there's a huge skip from where the USSR collapsed, and I really think that was a complete generational defeat, which put us at starting, like you said, worse than ground zero, basically. Artie's not really typical of the boomers. Well, but you have a lot of people out of that generation, though. I mean, that was sort of your, I mean, he was active in the 60s, you know, like, that's where he kind of cut his teeth sort of thing. He he ran with um, Eldridge Cleaver and kind of people like that. So that, that generation was definitely an active generation. <laughs> I feel like it's pretty interesting. Uh, as I mean, I'm not super read into it as a whole, but I, I feel like when you when you see things about socialism on well on the internet, it happens to be a lot from the states, of course. It's a lot of the US on on Reddit and and Twitter and and those uh, platforms, of course. And it feels like for you, like in the US, that uh, socialism is a pretty like youthful thing. It's kind of like oh, it's what the kids are up to these days. In a way, it is like that where I'm, where I am. I mean, I'm in, in Europe. I'm in Sweden, but it's not really the same thing. I feel like the repression was not as great here, which also means that the coming out of the repression maybe isn't as obvious, or maybe it's not as obvious that people are like breaking with that. It feels like it's not the same thing about like, oh yeah, this is something the the Zoomers and the you know the kids are doing now. They're doing socialism. I wouldn't be surprised if that's also partially just because young. Gen Z people have a much larger presence on like social media and stuff. Like already doesn't make TikToks about like about commie shit. But then that's where I think the book cult comes in because like people are now there's kind of like a rekindled interest in this. But there's worse than ground zero where people aren't just ignorant. That would be one thing and that's fine. They're coming in with preconceived notions and wrong ideas and so to speak. So it's not even that you have to teach somebody who doesn't know something it's you have to like dig out everything they already think they know so like when you talk about like communism and socialism and stuff and they're like oh yeah socialism is one thing and communism is another and it's like well if, if you read marx and Engels, they kind of use the words interchangeably more or less you know you, you get those distinctions along the way people start making those distinctions but in, and so like you have to kind of go all the way back to marx and Engels to talk to people about stuff because it's like you can you can use socialism and communism as different things if if you kind of understand that history of where that divergence begins, but you need to know about that in advance. You can't just be like, oh yeah, well socialism is when you know the the state runs stuff, and communism is when like there's there's no more state or whatever. And it's like eesh, you're you're missing the full picture on that kind of thing. It's really hard to overstate the importance of learning history, because history is the one thing that the proletariat has. Instead of accumulated dead labor, we have accumulated dead class struggles. And if that is stolen from us, we have nothing. And the bourgeoisie knows that. So it's really important to learn about our history. Well put. I think the, the other thing is how important it is to learn together. And you know, I started this journey just reading alone and since I've joined the book club, I've realized how much learning is a social act. It's impossible to, to learn all of this by yourself. And by joining a community and learning about the history of a class struggle together, it opens up your perspective. 
Uh, it shows you where you are coming in with preconceived notions that are not necessarily true. You know, you come together and build a bit of a movement together. So we are small, but I think that we are starting to rebuild what once was a class struggle. It, it's educational, but it is also like it. It's like a, it's a bit of organization. It's not like a union, but yeah. And the the collective nature of the learning, I think, helps in that it gives us a basis for common work. So it, it you you have a group of people who have a similar goal, and if you put them together and they don't have anything to do, then you just sort of naturally dissociate. But where we have the constant collective learning, we have constant weekly meetings, and now there's projects with podcasts and YouTube things, we, we have common work between us, and we have we share common perspective, and it, it enables us to be able to respond to local situations and then use the organization of the book club or the podcast or the YouTube as kind of a fallback resource. So it, it has happened before where... I've been doing organizing work or whatever, and I've been like, hey, Artie, can you can you write a pamphlet for me? <laughs> and he, he wrote like just a little one-page leaflet for us to advertise our thing. And I was like, okay, thanks, cool. And so that was just one less thing that I had to do personally. You know, it, it helps to be able to outsource things. And where Artie is 72, so he's not exactly out and about organizing or what have you, he can still contribute in other ways. So even if you're someone who does live in the middle of nowhere, maybe you get good at writing or video editing or any other plethora of skills that can potentially be of use. And then someone has an occasion where they're like, okay, we're going to make a video for our organizing, whatever organizing you're doing, our organization's Facebook page. Can somebody edit it together? Here's what we want. And you're like, oh, I can do that. So while you may not be able to participate in a personal local manner in the class struggle, it opens up a network of people who potentially have skills that can lend aid to people who are directly engaged in a form of class struggle, whatever whatever those organizations may be. If people share their experiences in their local struggles, then it's like, oh, I didn't think about that as a local struggle. And then that gives you a different perspective to look at your situation and say, oh, that's something that is going on here. Maybe I could emulate a similar project. Maybe it works where you're at. Maybe it doesn't for different local reasons. But it's a way to pool experience and kind of share all of that. What's that saying about military activity? You know, for every troop on the front lines, there's 10 logistics and supply troops. And I mean, it does help. We have members that have talked about how like they're the only one they know that is leftist because they live in some super Republican town in the U.S., for example. It does really help that you can join in one of those things. Like you say, like even if you don't have that many people around you and can, can't just like whip up something locally, maybe. And I think one thing about the, the curriculum is also that, uh, I mean, there is, it is a pretty long curriculum. There's a lot of books before we get to where we start over again, kind of. Uh, we go through history and, and uh, economics and, and philosophy and such. But like even after just a couple of works that we have read, you can really tell. I mean, I feel it in myself that I know so much more. And also you can tell on other people that they have gained so much just from like reading two of these books. So it's not like you have to read the whole set of all the curriculum before you like you get somewhere. You, you really get there along the way too. So that's, that's really good. 
Yeah, and I think that speaks to sort of how Marxism is a very holistic kind of view, if that makes sense. You can't sort of cherry pick this, that, and the other piece out of Marxism because it's a it's a system. I always like to, especially when we're reading Capital, I like to talk That's about whole. Dialectic, baby. Yes, the whole thing is a giant circle. It's hard to understand any of it without understanding all of it. So once you start to understand a little bit of it, it it's the same sort of skill or mental model that is needed for everything else. So once you kind of get it, everything else starts to click. And it also makes rereading old things that you've already read very rewarding because it's like, oh, I didn't really understand this at first, but it gave me a little bit of information that let me understand the next work. But that work then gave you more information that would help you understand the original thing. So it's like rereading stuff is very uh, rewarding when you've gained a better understanding because it's like, oh, there's there's actually so much more in this work that I didn't really think was important to begin with. And I mean, also reading different works side by side, you know, it's amazing the kind of connections you notice. And not just ones that are directly connected, like State and Rev and History of the Russian Revolution. Um, I'm also reading Wretched of the Earth. And it's really amazing because it's like Fanon and Trotsky are talking about the exact same events. You know, Fanon's is like an alternate reality where Lenin never showed up. What's... Uh, Wretched of the Earth on, which which is that? So um, that's about the decolonization movement in Africa. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I constructed or selected this particular slice of history to include sort of as a whole in the curriculum. I, I really feel like if you go through the entire revolutionary period post-World War One up to its defeat in 1927 in China, any other history you read, you're going to be like, oh, this reminds me of that. It reminds me of that. If they had only done this, you know, like you'll, you'll be able to be like, oh, God, it's all the same thing over and over. It's like the whole third international thing where they say there is no new method in the struggle. There's, I mean, capitalism is still capitalism. It may change certain phenomenological expressions of itself, but it remains the same content of extracting surplus labor. And you can only do that so many different ways. And so your method in combating that remains the same. And you brought that up in the, as, a, as an annoying thing, right, Brol? I think that after the, the Russian Revolution happened, there was something to look at for a lot of people. Before that, maybe it was a bit harder. But for other countries and other, other struggles, there was something there to look at. And maybe they didn't always do that, even though they, they kind of had something to, to start off from in, in looking at Russia, right? Oh yeah, it'll it'll be wildly frustrating when we read about 1920s China. <laughs> I mean, it's wildly frustrating reading Wretched of the Earth because, I mean, the 50s and the 60s in Africa were the Mensheviks and the social revolutionaries trying to hand over power to the national bourgeoisie and, you know, actually accomplishing it kind of again and again and again. With, of course, the results that you would anticipate from such things, I'm sure it's rather graphic and unfortunate. Yep, neocolonialism. Now, one of the things I'd like to kind of address as a weakness, I think, in the curriculum or maybe the book club is the speed at which it goes. It is a very slow process, I feel. Um, I may just be saying that because I can listen to all of these things as audiobooks at work, and so I can, you know, slam eight hours worth of this stuff in a day. <laughs> I get 40 yeah, hours of listening. You. And so one of the things I'm working on kind of on the side to address that is I'm writing 
commentary for each of the works. And I'm doing it in order, so I'm starting with Engels, Socialism, Utopian, and Scientific. And it'll be helpful for people who find the pace of the book club to be infuriatingly slow. <laughs> they can just read the book, read the commentary, and kind of get a simulated experience of what having the discussion with me would be like. It's just sort of like my thoughts on everything, kind of expanding on certain points, giving proper context, maybe pointing out some holes and flaws and airing some criticisms and things like that in some of the works. Um, it's slow going writing it because I am just kind of treating it as a little bit of a side project. But I also think it'll be useful for if we're in the middle of like the economic section or what have you and you're like, oh, well, I've missed the philosophy bits because that's right before the economic section. I, I want to go back to that since I keep referencing, oh, we'll get around to that when we get to the philosophy section. You can just go read the works and the commentary to go with it. And, you know, you can kind of catch up sort of thing. One of the problems I have with that approach, though, is if I put out the books of the commentary and stuff, it almost takes away that collective experience. I feel like it was a thing also as, as long as I've been on this server, which is like a year-ish, something soon maybe. Uh, it is has been like, Brawl has been saying, oh yeah, I, I just listen to things, I do it at work, it's great. You know, I get so much done because I, I just do it while I work. And everyone's like, okay, sure, whatever. But then eventually it became kind of a thing like, oh, here's the audio library. Mm, maybe there's something you actually can do to save some time to mm -hmm. read. So that's a, it's a success. Moral of the story, listen to Brol, damn it. I think every curriculum should be accompanied by an at least an hour-long Brol rant about whatever the topic is. I would listen to that all day. So would Brol. Yeah, one thing, speaking of, of old things that Brol has written before, uh, one of the ideas that we have for the, for the YouTube channel for Anti-Capital is, of course, to get some videos out based on the articles that have been done at, at Anti-Capital before, in the same way we did with Inverse's article that was the first one out. It's another way to, to get some, some thoughts out that actually can do some good, hopefully. I, I find it very odd, peculiar. Maybe it just shows how much I'm out of touch that the YouTube has been way more popular than the podcast. And it may be because we haven't given the podcast as much exposure as the YouTube that could contribute to it. But in my mind, with my lifestyle, I would be much more likely to listen to a podcast than I would be to sit down and watch a YouTube video that's 16 minutes long. To be fair, usually the podcasts are twice the length. And also, I imagine most people just treat it like it's a short episode of a podcast. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't imagine everyone's there watching the logo kind of expand and compress itself. Yeah, that's, that's what, like, confuses me so much. It's like, why, why do people consume their content off of, like, a YouTube thing where there's a video element? As opposed to just an audio element. Yeah, I don't but, know. But, but bro, they're not what, but there may be an audio element, but it doesn't mean anyone's paying attention to it. They're probably just putting it on and then doing something else like it's a podcast. Although, to be fair, I, it was promoted a lot more. At least I know I put, I, 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 I kind of spammed all the subreddits that I'm subscribed to that are leftist. And I think I only put the podcast on like left podcasts. You gotta have more pride in your project fit. You gotta advertise the podcast wider. <laughs> well, for me, the fewer people hear my dorky voice, the better. Something that interests me is um, the concept of gender slurs. Because I, I, I've recently taken what it's synonym for female dog out of my vocabulary. The acknowledgement of it being a gender slur and I, I also noticed that no, no one says KB's full name and I only recently realized why. 
and, and it seems much more a little less widely acknowledged because like everyone kind of even like republicans agree that you don't say like the n-word no one that's not something that like is in our culture but like most gender slurs are pretty widespread and normalized i guess so yeah it's one of those things where i i, I treat it exactly the same way as the n-word where i'm like the most milk toast white male you know assigned male at birth kind of person it's like i i have absolutely no business touching any of those words <laughs> If someone else who is of that gender, like KB, chooses to use that word and it's not making anybody uncomfortable or anything like that, that is their decision. When people start getting uncomfortable, I, you know, that's where you kind of step in. But I, as a super milquetoast white assigned male at birth, identifies as male, I have no business using any of that language. I just stay as far away from it as possible. I feel like, I, I guess it's just interesting to me how normalized that is. Like, fuck. Like, you can only say one fuck in a PG-13 movie. But there's all sorts of son of a this and son of a that, you know? Yeah, and I think it, I mean, it would simply just reflect the position of women in society as opposed yeah. to, you know, like, women have been... I forget if it's Ingalls. I'm pretty sure it's Ingalls. He describes the advent of agriculture as the world historic defeat of the female sex <laughs> because that is when like patriarchy kind of started according to Ingalls at least so like ever since agriculture women have been the secondary oppressed gender and I it's... Think it's hurting actually not agriculture specifically because like in Native American societies which are agriculture based and you know have a primitive communal structure women are still revered, but in herding societies, they're not because the role of, you know, the household manager is devalued and also they're not contributing actively to the management of the herds. The male role of herdsman is aggrandized, you know, because he's the one who's solely in control of, you know, the main movable form of property and, you know, the the one that's bringing income into the family. So that's kind of where the patriarchy comes from. At least uh, that's how Engels lays it out in um, Origin of the Family, Private Property in the State. It's. I think I only read that book like one time forever ago. So you probably have a more recent memory of it. But it, so correct me if I'm wrong. This was This was my understanding of it as well, was that it had to do with the fact that once property became movable, like you're saying, and transmittable, mostly, there was the necessity of establishing patrilineal, like, generations kind of thing. Like, we're, you know, being able to trace that the kid came from a specific male, because obviously, if a woman has a child, you know which woman it came from. But if it's a non-monogamous society, you don't necessarily know what male that the child came from. So... If men are in control of transmittable property, then there's like the assumption that they want to transfer it to their offspring. So then it becomes necessary to impose monogamy upon women, particularly, not necessarily society, just women, so that men can transmit their property to their own offspring and ensure that it is transferred to their own offspring. So sort of the idea of transmittable property being the genesis of an enforced monogamy on women I think that's that's pretty much accurate. 
Um, Engels mentions that, you know, in the primitive communal societies, there were a lot of different methods for determining the transmission of property. And those methods, you know, determined who you could and couldn't marry. For some groups, there was only, you know, allowable marriage between the gens, which is, you know, kind of the communal family unit, as he describes it. And for other schemes of property transmission, you could only marry within the gens instead of outside of it. The idea of property being, you know, sort of individually held and managed and, you know, movable and directly transmittable like that. Yeah, it is, you know, what led to the favoring of patrilinealism. Just to situate that back in context with Fib's question, it, it sort of speaks to how ancient the oppression of women goes, how, how ancient it is, whereas racism is relatively recent. It's modern incarnation, at least. Racism has right. you know, existed in different forms and things like that. Anti-Semitism it was different in feudalism than it is in modern capitalism. Modern racism is about five to six hundred years old. Whereas, obviously, the oppression of women would be then set at thousands of years. <laughs> And that's it. I'm just back to tell you to join the book club. The link to do so is in the show notes, um, which you can find on the description of the podcast on SoundCloud and Spotify and probably Apple Music and all those places. You can find links to, well, links to everything relevant and a link to join the book club. Um, also, special thanks to Oath for editing this podcast. I gotta say something funny so we can end up in the out of recording part of the podcast. Yeah. I need to talk, say something shitty about Brawl for a bit.